Hey, it's Lizzie. This is Eggshells, and you've tuned into an interview with Alba Woolard. Over the next little while, Alba and I explore disagreement and how to do it better. Alba has great stuff to say about articulating yourself in disagreement. She reflects on how she's persuaded people to do really hard things like donate their deceased loved one's organs or decide they're in a chocolate factory when they think they're in Paris. That one is obviously less emotional. This interview is jam-packed with anecdotes and metaphors that I hope make things pretty easy to remember. So I'm really grateful to Alba for her clarity, her positive attitude, and just for being excellent. This is an interview to listen to if you've ever been tongue-tied in a disagreement, if you liked the articulation episode, and if you want to add to our fairly rogue list of TV programmes that we think model good conversation styles. Alba Woolard works in healthcare simulation, doing things like training standardised patients, developing workshops for healthcare providers, and presenting internationally on communication. She's also a comedy improviser with Second City in Chicago, where she lives. Without further ado, here's Alba in conversation with Eggshells. In order to use these techniques, and specifically yes and that I'm pretty familiar with, in order to use those or to implement those, you have to come from a starting place that your word choice matters, your semantics matter. Using one word instead of another word can have a big impact on the emotional consequences of the conversation. And I think that sometimes you don't, or sometimes a person may not come to this in that way and they may say, well, I'm saying, and you should listen, and you know, I'm not going to water down my words or my feelings. You know, I want to be straightforward. I'm going to be direct. Anytime I hear somebody say like, "Oh, I'm just going to be really direct," I'm like, "Well, you may you may have mixed results. That means different things for different people." I'm going to be really direct. You know? Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Honestly, if somebody says to me, "I'm going to be really direct," it kind of depends the mood I'm in, but often it. It says to me, I'm not going to consider you. I'm only considering myself. And it could easily come across yes. as very aggressive. And considering the, the receiver's perspective is so important in how effective of a conversation can be had. So if the receiver is coming from a delicate place, mm -hmm. you know, or, or from a place where they're not necessarily ready to hear something, being really direct about whatever it is can just put the receiver on the defensive. Yeah, abs yeah, absolutely. Especially if, and what we're talking about really on this podcast is, is people who, I think I've, I've had a lot of feedback from people who say that they feel quite overwhelmed a lot of the time when somebody is very very direct and I like to take the view that you can't change someone else's behavior you can only change your own behavior and so really you need to model yeah. the behavior that you want to see in the other person in yourself and so if you can mitigate your language rather than saying that person's being really direct and so I need to just sort of step up and that's that's a mark of me showing my own confidence in myself actually I believe that a better way of showing confidence in yourself is to think about what your goal is and think about, well, if I want to be listened to, I'm going to have to listen, for example. 
Yes. Yes. And, you know, I was thinking so much about this earlier this week. When you're approaching a change that you're trying to affect, right? You're trying to affect change. You can approach it in the way that you think is the right way that I should do this. Like, I have to point out everywhere that you're wrong. I have to point out everywhere I disagree with you because otherwise I'm not being honest with myself. Or you can approach it from a place of, I, I want to have the most progress from this conversation. And so I'm willing to let go of some of the things that you said that I didn't agree with, or, you know, that I feel like you said wrong. Like, I, I just think, you know, sometimes when I, I hear somebody will correct like a grammatical mistake in a conversation, I'm like, is that, is that a necessary battle? Because, because the effect, sure, the grammar that person used was wrong, or, you know, or wasn't grammatical or whatever. But in that moment, you're scoring yourself a teeny tiny argumentative point that has nothing to do with the actual point you were trying to get across. And in scoring yourself that teeny tiny point, it could possibly put the other person on the defensive, which even trying to keep score of who's earning what points and who's right is, is not an effective way to work through a disagreement. And I think that that's the way a lot of people come at these conversations is your side and my side. And if I say, if I acquiesce, if I say, oh yeah, good point, Lizzie, then it's like, no, I can't give Lizzie any points. We disagree. And if I say Lizzie's right, then Lizzie's going to think she's right about everything. And I still have points to get across. So I can't admit that I was wrong anywhere. And, and that's where I think that scorekeeping is is so detrimental because the reality is when two people disagree about something, if they have opposing viewpoints, the truth is probably somewhere in the middle. There are probably some things that Lizzie's right about and some things that Alba's right about. And if we keep arguing, I will not get your information and you won't get mine. And at the end of it, we come away divided. Whereas if I'm willing to say, oh, that's a great point. I was looking at that from a limited perspective. Thank you for adding that perspective for me. Then, then you may be willing to do the same for me. And now we've come away with a shared understanding and each with some new perspective rather than just digging our own heels in. And so one, one of the first steps I think is, is being willing to take a breath and say like, I am going to allow myself to agree with this other person's perspective on areas that I think they do have a point. You know, I'm going to allow myself to hear things that I could understand and, and agree with potentially. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's extremely powerful. That's a really, really good point. Giving a little space to achieve a greater goal rather than all this point scoring totally. So you, in lots of your conversations, have that greater goal really high in mind. And I'm talking about your work in various settings, especially in medical settings is how I know you best, how to how to achieve certain aims, but feedback and related to persuading people to take certain actions. So what kind of things do you do in those areas? <laughs> what, are some, what are some techniques that you employ? Yeah, what are some techniques that you employ? So the biggest one is the yes and technique, which is, you know, I know 
many, many people have probably heard it and used it in many, many contexts and situations. Yeah. And it's, you know, it, it comes from, from improv comedy. So when two people are going to make up a scene from nothing, they're going to do it really quickly. And all of a sudden they're in the middle of a scene. This technique of yes and helps get them there quickly so that they're not arguing about little details so that the scene looks as though it was a written scene. That's the goal of improv, that it looks like it was pre-written, right? So they're able to instantly collaborate. That's That's the real beauty of yes and is instant collaboration. That's such a nice way of putting it. That's really, really lovely. And I'm thinking of that in a context of improv because I did some improv training at one point in my life, very briefly, but you've done a hell of a lot more improv than I have. So in an improv scene, how would we, how would we use yes and? So it presumably we're getting like, we had a suggestion from the audience and they've said, okay, we're setting a scene and we're in, I don't know, are we somewhere? How would it, how would it work? So if let's say, you know, the audience could say anything, they, they could say uh, croissant. Okay. Mm-hmm. So and cr- croissant makes you think of Paris and croissant makes me think of chocolate. So I want to be in a chocolate factory and you want to be in Paris. Now, what we could do, so without yes and, if you started the scene and says, oh, well, here we are in Paris. Without yes and, I might say, we're not in Paris. We're in a chocolate factory. We're in Willy Wonka's chocolate factory. Well, now the audience sees, okay, this obviously isn't pre-written because they're arguing about where they even are, right? Mm-hmm. Now, if instead I use yes and, I guess what you're bringing to the table, which is Paris, and I and, I could still keep my chocolate factory. I could be like, yes, I'm so glad we got employed in a chocolate factory in Paris. And yes. then, you know, we can continue the conversation. And that's those two pieces. Yes is agreeing to what you're bringing to the table. And this is in an improv setting, agreeing, acknowledging, accepting what you're bringing to the table and, and is bringing my part to it as well. Because if I just say yes to everything you say, then all of the work is on you. And if I say no, but, or whatever, then all of the, then, then the scene can't build. So yes, I'm agreeing to what you're bringing to the table. I'm accepting what you're bringing to the table. And here's what I'm bringing to the table. Nice. And so in that way, two people, and I've, I've done improv with people I had never met before, and you can quickly have scenes that, you know, with no disagreement about what's happening, you can have great scenes just by that use of listening to what the other person is bringing to the table and then adding your perspective and your piece to that. And, and I find then that that translates really well to co- collaborating with people, strangers, friends, family members in a real life setting as well. That's awesome. So in what ways have you used Yes And to encourage collaboration with the people that you worked with? The most impactful way that I feel that I've used that in a, in a professional setting um, and in a healthcare setting was I, I worked with an organization called LifeNet Health and they are organ and tissue procurement organization. Mm. And so when someone when someone unexpectedly passes away, they are eligible 
to, depending on the circumstances, of course, you know, or they, you know, when you go to your, the driver's license and you, you put on your driver's license, organ donor. Well, when, when someone does unexpectedly die, there, there are people whose responsibility it is to talk with the next of kin or the, um, the, the person who's in charge of making those end of life decisions for the deceased and to have that conversation with them about whether or not the deceased will be donating their, their organ and tissue, uh, and, you know, depending on the circumstances. And that's a really delicate conversation, as you can imagine. Yeah. It's a really delicate conversation. Oftentimes, the, the person who is making this ask for, you know, for the donation of, of those gifts is, is meeting the next of kin on one of the worst days of their lives because they have they have just lost someone close to them more than likely unexpectedly and so that person the receiver of the conversation is in a really delicate more than likely in a really delicate emotional state and so in my work with them i worked in a capacity of of having these practice conversations so in a simulated environment the organization LifeNet Health would have their staff come to the center I worked at. I worked at Eastern Virginia Medical School in Virginia, and their staff would come to the center and they would go through a workshop and then they would have practice conversations with the next of kin. And so one of the, the didactic portions of that workshop that we did was this concept of yes and. So in a healthcare setting or in this sort of conversation, people will sometimes say, yes, and, well, am I supposed to agree with what everybody says? So if they say like, no, I don't want to donate and you're crazy, am I supposed to say, yes, I am crazy. Have a nice day, you know, and, and that's not the case. The, the yes, and does not necessarily have to be agreeing with what the other person has said. So the yes portion in this sort of becomes blown up more into an acknowledging and accepting what the other person has brought to the table. So an example of how these conversations could go, the next of kin will sometimes come to these conversations with misconceptions or um, myths that they have heard about organ and tissue donation. So they may say, no, I don't want to my loved one's not donating because we want to have an open casket. And so they have the misconception that it's not possible to have an open casket if they donate, which is not the case. You actually can. You can still have an open casket and donate organ and tissue. And so the way I've heard this, the conversation could go is, you know, donation is a possibility. And then the next of kin says, well, no, because of open casket and the the um, person making the ask says, well, no, but you can, you can have an open casket. No, that's actually not true. You can have an open casket or even, yeah, I get that, but you can have an open casket. And that, that really brief sentence is an awfully quick amount of time to ask someone to change their mind about such a big decision. And by saying no, or yeah, but it's it's essentially it's disagreeing and this is where earlier when we were talking about the semantics it's a little semantic change to say and instead of but so you have to believe that semantics make a difference right. you have to believe that that affects 
how the receiver is hearing these words. And so what I encouraged is that yes part is, is a validation of what the person has said. So that could sound like, yeah, I've heard that before. I've heard people say that before. That's a really valid concern. Um, absolutely, we want you want to have an open casket. We absolutely want you to have an open casket. And then the second part, rather than saying, but you can have an open casket, you can say, and the great news is you actually can have an open casket if, if your loved one donates. So rather than, oh no, you can do that. It turns into, thank you for sharing that with me. Thank you for sharing your concern with me. I have heard that before. The great news is that you can still have an open casket. And I, I want, through this conversation, I want to make sure that you are able to honor your loved one in, in the ways that, that they would want to be honored and that your family would want to honor them. So now it's a, it's a much longer piece that is being shared. So it gives a little bit more space for that person listening to be able to hear another perspective. And there's so much validation built in there rather than the person feeling like, oh my gosh, am I an idiot for thinking that they couldn't donate? Or am I an idiot for saying no of the casket? Or rather than feeling argued with, you know, you're arguing with me about whether or not they should donate, or you're just, you know, you're trying to be pushy. Now it's validation. Oh, okay. That is realistic. Oh, okay. You do want me to, oh, you've heard that concern before and being able to, to feel heard. And that's that yes portion is helping the other person feel heard. And then the and portion is this is the information I'm bringing to the table to, to share with you. Yeah, that's great. I mean, breaking it down in that way is so useful to my brain to think about the yes portion, not just as a flat out agreement, but as a validation, like you're saying. And I like what you're saying about the length of time as well, because you're so right, especially in that particular setting. You know, you really need to give someone time. They're, no, they're not going to be like super emotionally dexterous at that point. This is a, genuinely the worst day for them. So creating the space is a kindness that you can that you can give someone that also helps you achieve your goal. And what a lovely double faceted thing to have. And and in that case, when we're talking about achieving the goal, it, it's that is really a greater good. On, on that goal of the deceased being able to have a legacy of donation, that they're saving lives even in their own death. And then also the people who would be the recipients of those gifts of the organ and tissue whose lives are saved or lives are enhanced by those gifts. So by taking the time, by sticking with that conversation, by remaining patient, that this this greater good can be achieved. And of course, this is a really extreme circumstance. <laughs> but, you know, even if the greater good is, I want all the family to be together for Thanksgiving. And you have to have these conversations with brothers and sisters and each individual person. And, oh, I don't want to go to Thanksgiving because Jimbo stole my iced tea last year. Rather than saying, but mom wants you to be there saying, yeah, I understand you're upset with Jimbo and I would invite you to consider mom's feelings on this subject. So, and, and kind of massaging that conversation for the greater good of everyone being at Thanksgiving. Totally. Yes. And that's such a lovely, to have gone from an initial point scoring sort of thought process to a greater good thought process is just 
makes us all feel better. That's really nice. What else? I mean, I'm quite fascinated by the when you I felt feedback model, which, again, is how you and I know each other a bit more. Um, mm -hmm. And I know that's in the context of feedback. And I might I might be barking up the wrong tree here, but I think that could be useful in difficult conversations, especially when emotions have already run high, maybe. What do you think? Absolutely. I agree with that 100%. And I want to point out specifically that you said when emotions are running high, it does a couple of things. So the phrase being rather than saying like, you made me angry, or you, you hurt me, you offended me, or even worse, you're being a jerk. <laughs> you're being an asshole, breaking it down into what the other person did, and then how you felt in that scenario. When yeah. you when you yelled at me, I felt disrespected. When you called me an idiot, I felt offended. And I think it can help people to kind of see the result of their actions and take a step back and, and kind of determine what their actual goals are, what their, what their greater good is, right? Because mm -hmm. no one you know, I don't want to say no one wants to make someone else feel disrespected. So oftentimes people probably do. Yeah. But depending on the context of the conversation, if it's a, a healthy disagreement or a, a factual disagreement, for instance, most of the time people are trying to get their point across. They're trying to be heard and they're trying to, to help you see what they mean. And so by pointing out, hey, that felt disrespectful, it can help recalibrate the conversation or realign, you know, get the conversation back on track. The key, I think, to that and the difficult part of that is catching it before you yourself fall into those habits. Yeah, absolutely. That's so hard. I mean, in the moment, especially when or if you're discussing something that is emotionally close to the bone, to be able to hear someone call you an idiot, for example, and then have the wherewithal in that moment to say, hang on a minute, just when you just called me an idiot just then, I, I felt disrespected, I felt dismissed. Was that your intention, you know, and to be able to call it out in that, in that de-escalating kind of way, rather than just to be like, I can't believe you said that to me, you're such a <laughs> dick, or whatever. It's like, it's super hard, and um, it's not something that um, can all be really, really good at without a bit of practice, but just the idea of saying, is of, of, as you say, pointing out the behavior, because just like, yeah, I'm just agreeing with you basically, to have, I don't think that people want to make other people feel bad and like worthless or, or like poo. And if they do, then that's not the sort of person that you wanna be having the conversation with in the first place, frankly, is it? Right, yes. and. I think so I, I've been I've been watching the Umbrella Academy lately, which is really good. And it's a family of siblings that don't they don't really get along. And I would say there are so many scenes in that show that you could slice up and say, this is a, a moment of how they are doing all of the inflammatory things. Where you're like, okay, here's an opportunity for a yes, you know, where one person says, Well, 
you're not a very good leader. And the other person says, I'm not a good leader. Well, you're an idiot. What about that time when you did this thing? And somebody else says, well, what about that time when you did this thing? And the, their ultimate goal is to <laughs> is probably the greatest good, which is saving the world. And here they are getting caught up in point scoring about who's a bigger idiot and who is a better leader. And so they're, they're all caught up in these little things and missing the bigger point where there are tons of opportunities. And, and, and the thing is, it's so relatable. Watching these sibling yeah. arguments are so relatable because that's, that's the way these conversations generally go is I'm right. No, I'm right. No, I'm right. Whereas I would so like to just pop into those scenes of the movie and say, or of the show and say, okay, hang on a second. Now, how about, is there anything about what he said that you could see that you could validate? Cause you could say, you know, yeah, I understand that you feel hurt right now. I understand that you feel left out and I want to include you in the superpower group. <laughs> I'm doing this because I want you to feel included rather than saying, no, you're a danger to society. <laughs> That's perfect. Even superheroes cannot get it right. That's reassuring, I think. I'm going to watch this show now. Oh, it's so good. And they could say, because they do have some really nice emotional moments. And I would love for the, the big, the strong man to say, hey, dad, when you said, when you said I wasn't important, I felt dismissed. <laughs> I would have preferred, you know. Granted, that that character in that show maybe maybe wouldn't be receptive. But as you said earlier, if if that person's response is yes, I do want to hurt you, then is that someone that you really want to to be having this conversation with anyway? Yeah, I absolutely, I absolutely agree. Since we're talking about TV shows, I have been obsessed through 2020 by Jane the Virgin. Have you ever seen Jane the Virgin on Netflix? Mm -mm. Oh my gosh. It is, and I think part of the reason I'm obsessed with it, I'm just reflecting now in this conversation, is because they model, especially Jane and, well, most of the people that she deals with directly, basically every character in the show models a, a sort of a when you, I felt really well, but always in hindsight. So they have these dramatic arguments or exchanges in the moment, and then they all, without fail, come back an hour later, a day later, whatever to each other. And they both go, gosh, I'm so sorry. I really didn't mean to hurt you. I now see that this was this was an offensive thing that I said, or and I really want to apologize. And, and the other person says, no, no, thank you so much for saying that. I, I hear your apology and I really appreciate it. And, and also, I also want to say that I was out of turn and blah, blah, blah. And then they just have these like super nurturing conversations and then they all fall in love and it's just the best program ever. And I get so happy watching it. And I feel like they're teaching me how to be a better human being. So maybe we should all watch the Umbrella Academy and then Jane the Virgin and do, do a comparison program. Well, that's a, that's, a, that's a great point because I sometimes, as I was watching Umbrella Academy, actually last night was one of the big scenes where I was like, man, these people are not very receptive or collaborative. I was thinking how much of our interactions with each other is shaped by the movies and the TV shows that we watch. Mm. So when we watch Umbrella Academy and everybody's arguing and name calling and point scoring, are we then, are we subconsciously taking that as the way to handle disagreement? Yeah, 
Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And I'm so, I've actually found out so many people, I say so many, a, a good five or six people that I have said this year, oh, I love Jane the Virgin have come back to me and gone, oh my gosh, I love her. I just discovered it in lockdown because it's very lighthearted, quite overdramatic television that you really enjoy for the drama, but doesn't leave you with any emotional scarring afterwards. And in fact, mm-hmm. models, really good exchanges. And this is off topic entirely. But so I've been living with my boyfriend and therefore we watch TV separately sometimes. And so we can watch programs that we each want to watch without the other person. And sometimes I tune into what he's watching and he's just started watching a program called The Boys. And then he's also been watching Mm -hmm. Robot. And in both of those programs, just with the couple of episodes that I have tuned in to him, women have been sexually like men just talk to women in a very aggressive sexual manner uh someone was was uh raped someone else was murdered in a sexual way there was just so much sexual violence against women in just the few episodes that I watched that and this is not tv that I expose myself to optionally Mm -hmm. like it's not it's not tv that I seek out and go I want to watch that program But Mark was recommended both of these programs by his best friend. And, you know, I know that these programs are very, very popular on the streaming services that supply them. And I know that, like, Mark doesn't watch them and think, oh, that seems like an acceptable (laughs) behaviour. But just the presence of that sort of stuff, and I know this is a whole different conversation that we're having now, but just the presence of that sort of stuff in a similar way to what you were just saying, you know, what's the point in modelling bad behavior without modeling the consequences or the cure I suppose not that there's a cure for yeah but anyway that was just really disturbing to me and I found myself thinking about it a lot afterwards thinking about I've really gone off topic now and I apologize I think it's a really good point like you said he doesn't watch it and think oh that's a good idea to (laughs) to go out and rape and murder people and it's like you know violent video games don't necessarily turn children violent Mm -mm. so these these overarching like the obvious bad things right the obvious bad things are easy to say no I I know better to do that but the the subtext things I and on a on a more lighthearted thing is like you know when you watch rom-coms right you know you know you're not gonna go on a holiday to London and meet Mr. Charming and I don't know which movie I'm thinking of Notting Hill maybe all of them you know you you know that that's not necessarily the way that it's going to happen, but then the but then there are these these subtleties, these the subtext, the things that I think do permeate, which is you know, oh, when I meet the right person, he will never make me cry, or yeah. <laughs> when I meet the right person, everything is going to be perfect and fall into place, and we'll just know what the other person is saying or we'll be so compatible, which is, the, it never explicitly says that. No. But the subtext of every single rom-com is that they they are perfectly matched for each other or he's saving her or she's saving him. And those subtexts do affect us because the reality is you should be whole within yourself before you go out and try to connect with someone else, right? Mm-hmm. There's no... And, and and those subtexts do permeate. And so, so watching a superhero show or, a, you know, a, a violent show, a, these subtext themes of 
for instance, women not being the leaders, not being at the forefront, yeah. not saying that, that, that that's necessarily the, um, the case in, in either of those, but the, it is. but the subtext of how women are treated, that's something that's not overtly wrong. And so it can, it can permeate and does permeate as we've seen, you know? Totally. Yeah, no, absolutely. That's a really important, important distinction to make. Yeah, you're right. It's not going out and telling people, go to London and find Mr. Right or make this woman suck your dick. It's actually just like the fact that those power dynamics exist and the fact that, yeah, Mr. Right could be out there, even if he's not directly in London and you shouldn't go like right now. Yeah, it's. I think that can be a subconscious thing that we hold on to that can be quite damaging, which is why it's all the more important. And this is a <laughs> slightly <laughs> tenuous link, but I love making tenuous links. It's one of my great favorite hobbies. Um, <laughs> it's all the more important to really consider not only the subtexts that are happening and things that are going on on a subconscious level that you're watching and absorbing, but then those things that are going on on a subconscious level that you're putting out there in conversation, like the tiny little yeah. words you're using, like but versus and, for example. Yes, yes. And I wanted, I wanted to follow up on something that you, that you had said about Jane the Virgin. Yeah. That, you know, it's great that they model and they come back and they they say, uh, when you blank, I felt blank and and I just know and I'm so sorry about this. And, and I think that the ability to when you, I felt blank in the moment, fast tracks those conversations. And mm. it, and it, so if you can, in the moment, somebody calls you an idiot, instead of saying, I'm not an idiot, you're an idiot. And then coming back later and saying, hey, I didn't mean that, or I felt disrespected. If you can find that mindfulness, that presence, that awareness in the moment to breathe and respond rather than react, then you can fast track that. And when they say, hey, you're an idiot in the moment, if you can take that breath and say, I can see that, that you're angry and frustrated, and I, I understand that, when you called me an idiot, I felt really disrespected and I don't think that that's what you meant to do. Then that can, you can prevent further damage. Yeah. Done during that conversation. If that makes sense. Yeah. Cause drama just... makes for great TV, but it doesn't make for great relationships. <laughs> so wise, so wise, Alva, such a good point. Yeah. There's, some, there's something else I wanted to ask, um, ask you about based on what you said before. You said something really wonderful about if you hear other people's perspective, which you've modeled a lot in, in the examples that you've been giving now, hearing other people's perspectives and reiterating their perspective back to them, which is sort of what you were saying about validating the, the yes yeah. part of the conversation being a validation. And you mentioned that being all the more important because if someone doesn't feel as though they've been listened to or heard, they're just going to keep banging on at that same point, which is going to hinder yeah. progress. Can you speak to that at all anymore? Yeah, absolutely. That to, to use like a light disagreement, um, you know, wheat toast or, or white toast, or maybe that's not a good example. I'm trying to think of like a politically adjacent thing and not actually get yeah. into politics. Um, wool socks or cotton socks. Cool. Yeah, good. Yeah. Okay. Contentious topic. Love it. Yes, very contentious. 
So if if you're coming to the conversation about wool socks and I'm coming about cotton socks and you say, wool socks are warmer. And I say, but cotton socks are cheaper. And you say, but wool socks are thicker. And I say, but cotton socks are, are more comfortable, are not itchy. And we just keep yelling at each other our points, but this, but that. I think that you haven't heard me. You're not hearing my point that they're cheaper. Because when I said they were cheaper, all you said is that wool socks are thicker. So you get what you pay for or whatever. So we just keep having this argument of, yeah, but, yeah, but, yeah, but. And I'm going to continue to tell you why cotton socks are better because I don't think that you're hearing my point that they are more comfortable. They are, they are cheaper. They are, you know, they don't come from wool or whatever. <laughs> and, or, you know, a sheep. Yes, um, yes which is important to the belief system. Yes. And if you can find the moment to say, yeah, that's a really great point. They are less expensive. I'm more comfortable. I'm comfortable paying more for wool socks because I, you know, I think I get, I get a little bit, they're, they're thicker. So there's more material. And so I'm, I'm comfortable with that. So now you've heard that they're cheaper and you've incorporated that perspective into your part of the conversation. You have incorporated the fact that wool socks are more expensive rather than saying that doesn't matter that they're more expensive and throwing out my point of cost. You are incorporating my point of cost into the conversation and telling me why you've already considered that and you're okay with it. Or if you haven't considered it saying, wow, yeah, that's a great point. Cotton socks are less expensive. Maybe if I'm in in a place where I need less warmth, and, you know, budget is a concern, I would get cotton socks. But since I'm going on a hike to, you know, the, where's a cold place? I don't know, the Alps. Yeah. I need the wool socks, you know? Yeah. And then I could say, oh, that's a great point about thickness and your feet being comfortable in the thickness of the socks. Because I only ever wear socks to work. I don't need wool socks. And then, and then, oh my goodness, we found out that wool socks are better for you and cotton socks are better for me. Hot dog. Yeah, we did. That's what we found out. <laughs> but that is, but that is so great because then we've we basically fast tracked again with the fast tracking the bit of the conversation where we're just yelling at each other and then we come away with with neither of us having we've we fast tracked all the yelling so that's out the way. Then we've eliminated the part of the conversation where we come away with neither of us having learned anything. And then my brain is already going to applicable knowledge. So you just wear the socks to work, and I'm wearing them for hiking. But then maybe I'm for Christmas. I'm buying socks. For my brother who doesn't like hiking and he is only going to go to work and beforehand I may have said well I know that wool socks are better it's my impression of the situation and I just had this conversation with this person and we didn't listen to each other and so she didn't convince me that cotton socks are better so I'm still right so I'm going to go and buy wool <laughs> socks but that's not what he wants and I haven't learned anything and I haven't benefited my own self or my own brother or my own situation because I haven't widened my mind to consider that out of, because it's not that I'm saying, well, I've got to change my values and I now have to say that cotton socks are the thing for me forever. It's just that I have learned about your values and I have learned that that is a set of values that someone that is different from me holds. And so then I can increase my empathy levels and imagine that there are value sets that are held by people who are different than me 
and they hold them for considered reasons. They don't hold them just because they haven't realized how good wool socks are. We're really, I mean, we've really stretched this metaphor very far at this point. No, well, it's good though, because the other thing is, then if I go hiking, <laughs> I'm going to keep going on this metaphor. Oh yeah, we're rolling. If I go hiking after our conversation and I have determined, uh-uh, I am not getting wool socks because if I do, then Lizzie's right. So instead I'm going to wear four pairs of cotton socks. <laughs> you know? Yes. And so, so now I'm sacrificing my comfort to not let you know that you were right. Whereas if one person starts that, it, and I'm speaking from experience, not from statistics, that if one person starts that and, and lets down, puts down their weapon for a moment and says, really great point. I, I hear that. And I can consider that. Then the other person can say, oh, you're hearing me. Well, I guess I can hear you too. And and then we can come to a place of actually hearing each other. Yeah. Instead of, you know, letting letting our pride destroy our feet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Giving us blisters where it just wasn't necessary to get them in the first place. Ah, uh, or athlete's foot. Anyway, yeah, so great. Ah, <laughs> uh, so much learning. Excellent. I just wanted to say one more thing regarding misinformation and we can keep it in the socks thing because, you know, to keep it safe from the, from the politics, because there is a lot of misinformation out there. You know, when you scroll through Facebook and the internet, you see articles about all kinds of things, you know, about what's healthy for your body. What's Mm -hmm. a healthy way of working out? What's a good diet? What's, you know, there are, who's in a conspiracy. There's a lot of misinformation out there. And so if I say, well, Lizzie, I'm presenting this article to you about how wool socks are mind control devices. And it's a, it's a terrible article. It's a terrible article. This is the same thing where you can come at me and say, you're an idiot for believing this blog post, or this is dumb. This is not valuable. And I'm throwing it out. Or you can say, yeah, thanks for sharing that article with me. I read through it and I get why you're scared of wool socks. I, who would want their mind controlled? No one would want their mind controlled. I did look for references within the article and this is the and part, right? Yeah. I did look for references within the article and I didn't see any scientific research. I generally follow articles that have statistics and scientific research associated with them, where the article that you shared with me is an opinion piece. And so, so that's why it's hard for me to, to put a lot of stock in that. It it feels, uh, it feels more scary than it does factual rather than just saying, no, this article is dumb and I'm throwing it out. Yeah, totally. And yeah, exactly. And what you've just outlined, again, I'm drawing these tenuous links that I love to draw, but make me, <laughs> I like them. <laughs> makes me think of what you said originally about how the people in the simulation where they're asking for organ and tissue donation, you know, might try and go quickly through the conversation. Oh, no, no, no. You can have an open casket. Boom. Instead of taking the time to validate and then add the and, which is essentially a lot more effort but a lot more worthwhile. And that feels like exactly what you've outlined again here. You know, someone presents you with a bogus article, you're not going to want to waste your time reading it. But if you want to engage with this person, you have to at least skim it and then at least 
ask yourself, well, why is it that I don't believe this? Or why is it that I don't think it's valid? Okay, is it firstly test yourself? Is that a valid response that I'm having? Have I just dismissed this article because it was written by somebody that I don't like the sound of their name, or I, I have heard bad things about that organization that it's that I haven't researched at all. But it takes all of that takes a lot more effort to to actually read the thing, come up with the reason why you don't think it's gonna change your mind, and also then going through the yes and on top of that. And I think quite frankly and unsurprisingly. A lot of people don't want to go through all of that effort. And but do you think it's worthwhile to do that? Ab- absolutely, because because you're it's that it's that greater good. It's the goal of the greater good. It's yeah. the more effort. And it's also kind of it can be kind of scary to say, well, I've believed this this whole time, and now I'm gonna read this article that's saying something different from my beliefs. And am I going to, am I going to give it the space? Because, hey, I could learn something from this article. Mm. You know, maybe, heck, maybe there is something in here that's true. I always think of that, that there's like a, a meme or like an infographic that says about water. And it's, it's like facts about water. Mm-hmm. And it says 100% of people who died have drank water. Water kills X number of people a year through drowning. Water can carry disease. And it's all of these, it's, it's hand-picked facts. And it's basically trying to show how you could spin anything. Mm-hmm. Because obviously you need water to survive. But is it true that 100% of people who have died drank water? Well, yes, because everybody drinks water. Yeah. So, so it's also finding those moments when you're looking at the article and saying, wow, that is true. A hundred percent of people do drink water or who have died did drink water. And then you say, well, am I, am I strong enough to read something like that, allow it to be true and still maintain my beliefs that water is still good for me. Water is still good for me, despite the fact that if I breathe it in, it will kill me. (laughs) Yeah. 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 You know, and, and, and being able to, being able to read that with an open mind and say, yeah, that is true. And can we come to an agreement that water can be deadly and is also a necessity? Yeah. Cause it's not one or the other. And most times disagreements that people have are not one or the other. No one is always a hundred percent right or a hundred percent wrong. Yeah. And if we can find the ways to admit that we that we hear the other person and the areas that we we may be learning new things, then the other person can be likely to let down their guard too. Yeah. Yep. Awesome. <laughs> I I don't want to say anything else because I want that to be <laughs> so that to be the thing. I believe that so much what you've just said, and I want that. That's it. That's it, Alva. You've done it. <laughs> you've done it. I can't wait to hear this pot. I can't wait to hear all the episodes. <laughs> Yay! Me too. Uh, me too. Help. Yes. It'll be very exciting. I am very excited. So this is just really great and I really appreciate it. Thanks. I appreciate you asking me to do this. I, I really enjoy it. Yay. Thank you. Thank you so much. It's always a pleasure, Lizzie. It's always a pleasure, Alva. Thank you very much.